leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Okay. Hi, security peeps. I am Renee Small back with another special edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. And we're back. It's Mondays with Dan. Hi, Dan. How you doing, Renee? We're back. We're back. It's been a couple of weeks. So happy to have you back here talking to us and giving us some insight and tips and, you know, uh, providing us with all that we need to get through, you know, the pandemic that's been going on for the last five months. What, um, what pandemic? What pandemic? What's that? So, <laughs> this, so, this is like normal life now, you know, it really it, does. It is the new normal. This is it. We just have to prepare for this for the foreseeable future. So happy to have you back here talking to us about it. Thank so you. So today's topic, we you and I were chatting right before this, and you were telling me about a client that you had. And um, if you want to start the story off, but yeah. long story well, short, we we were exploring how best to get an entree and reach the highest person she could in a company. And she said, I have three calls to make today. And I said, okay, who are you going to call? So she gave me the names of the companies. And I said, who are you going to be speaking to? She said, well, I guess the receptionist. I said, all right. I said, what do you think her objective is? I said, her objective is to not let you get anywhere near the person you want to speak to. And then the question comes back to when you get her on the phone, what are you going to say? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to talk to her. I said, well, that's going in with no plan. I mean, my professional athletes wouldn't take for a minute, nor would any athlete walk on a field without training. You know, so it's how to identify your obstacles before you confront them. What's what possibly can happen? And how do you get things to go correctly? So she said, well, I think I'm going to talk about the features and benefits of what I have to offer. I said, so you're expecting the receptionist to take that information up the line to the person you want to reach. She said, I guess that won't work. I said, no, you need to really find a way to change your language with that person. How do you get by the person who's trained to keep you away? And it's different with each person and with each group. I mean, I worked with an insurance guy one time and we had three meetings. He set up this huge plan. It was a huge insurance program. Uh, and we realized it was a conversion process. How was he going to convert that company to work with him? So many things are involved. And he wanted to talk about the features and benefits of his insurance plans. I said, but that's what everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do to make yourself different? And so uh, in his case, because uh, she hasn't made these calls yet, but she was going in totally unprepared to deal with the obstacles that were getting thrown in her way. Uh, With this other guy, we worked on the language that he was going to use in his first meeting. He said that went exceptionally well. And this is the guy who's going to now decide whether they're going to convert to me or not. What it wound up to be at the end of a long story is that he went to the CEO of the company and he said, do you have any problem changing from your current insurance provider, to me. The guy says, no, I would love to do that. He said, but I failed to ask him one question. I said, what was that? He said, who is your current insurance provider? He said, the son-in-law of the owner. I said, where are you going to go with that? Do you think that the owner is going to, you might not like him, but is the owner going to fire his son-in-law? No way. So it was a a no-win situation. But our topic today is winging it. Mm -hmm. So many people today go in 
with the information that they have, the features and benefits of their product or their service or cybersecurity, their experience, their background. But what needs to happen where somebody says, as I said, spoke to you, somebody about you yesterday, the other day, I said, you know, it's not, do you hire an A for your cybersecurity recruiting? I want them to say, I don't want to not hire an A for cybersecurity. Is it's got to be a mistake and winging uh, people without plans, not planning for it. Uh, you know, winging works until the bar gets raised. And frequently people don't see that the bar is raised and they can't figure why stuff doesn't work. So when you're doing what you always did, uh, whether to get a job or to move up within a company, uh, it, it makes sense, I believe, to invest in figuring out what am I not doing? What am I not saying? What do I need to add into this? Right. So, Dan, you said winging works um, until the bar gets ra- raised. And I didn't I didn't even know that it worked at all. Does it ever really work? Sure, because people wouldn't do it. You know, uh, winging is very close to unconscious competence. Where I do something very, very well. I've done it so long. I'm very successful. Everything happens, and and uh, it works for me. But uh, when the bar gets raised, something gets changed, and the only tools that somebody has is what they've used before, and they say, you know, "I feel like I'm batting myself up against the wall here." And in fact, they are. And so it's what this woman right now said to me: "I need help." with my scripts. I said, okay. I said, so she said, I've got these scripts that I use to, to sell my insurance products. And I said, okay, but you know, who are you selling it to? Are you expecting the receptionist to take your information and give it to the person above them? That's a crapshoot. Right. Right. And I think, go ahead. No, go ahead, Dan. No, and I think we've discovered that with some of the cybersecurity people I work with is when I talk to them about how do you persuade and influence somebody, the importance of enhancing their cybersecurity, they're rolling the dice. Yep. They're really rolling the dice. I had a, a CIO on last week, and he talked about security leadership and how the budgets are sometimes really slim when it comes to um, when it comes to security as a whole, and that one of the challenges is it's a kind of a keep the lights on. In some organizations, it's a keep keep the lights on type of scenario. Like you know, it's supposed to work. It's in the background, and really having to um, come up with the right language and communication to explain to his leaders, he himself as a security person explaining to him and, and explaining across to his peers why something is needed was so very important. And it, I think it comes back to what you're talking about with winging it and you know people feeling that just their technical expertise is enough when it's not. Well, <coughs> If you're taught, when I'm talking to somebody who's realizes that they're, they're, uh, the interview they're going into, the job they're looking for within a company uh, requires them to present more than just a resume, uh, they realize that it's in their best interest to strategize who they're going to talk to, what they're going to say, and what happens. But I think frequently, uh, when you're talking to people who are not technologically oriented, me being one of them, you know, uh, what, where are the risks? I mean, we do an assessment that shows an individual every place that they can, uh, that they're at risk and moving forward with their career. And it's extraordinarily accurate. But on the other point, how do they get that message across to somebody in a company who's not technologically oriented? I mean, you know, you have a conversation with, with CISOs, I'm sure, who talk to each other in cybersecurity. They're all talking the same language, but the minute you go to somebody else who's really the decision maker, the person with the wet pen who's going to hire you or to retain you or to bring you in on a project, 
you have to make sure that they know what the risks are of not doing something. That's where, you know, we've spoken for weeks now about selling mistakes. And anybody who is interested in finding out how to use mistakes to market themselves personally and their cybersecurity, uh, uh, you know, goals and objectives, just give me a call because it's, it's so easy to put these together. What mistakes have your clients made before they became your client and what did it cost them in money, emotion, and reputation? Mm-hmm. But it's how do you profile each person to find out, you know, from the tools that you have, what are you going to say to somebody in a particular situation? Right. That That's where, that's where the winging comes out of it. I could see that being useful too when you're inside of an organization and you are, you could be doing, you could be looking at the mistakes that a company made before hiring you if you're a full-time employee inside of an organization and looking at the other organizations where you've been full-time employee, a full-time employee and the type of mistakes those places made before you came in. Right. See, people sometimes mistakenly think I'm saying, make a list of your mistakes. It's not the mistakes you made. You want to sell other people's mistakes. Mm-hmm. You see, people say, you know, we have to learn by our mistakes. We've been taught that as kids, right? But it's a lot cheaper to learn by somebody else's mistakes. <laughs> you know, people who are out selling solutions, we, we sell, they, let us sell solutions. Well, uh, if you buy the mistake first and don't make it, you don't ever have to pay for the solutions. And the solutions are much more expensive. But this, this is a, Renee, what we've been talking about for these past many weeks is that how does an individual uh, persuade and influence somebody in a decision-making capacity that they need to do what they're recommending? Not easy. And it depends on who you're talking to. But that's where the wing comes in. I'll just go in and talk about this or I'll throw some stuff up in a wall and see what sticks. It's, you know, I, I'll come back to a story. I had a, a client who ran HP Labs in Bristol, England. And uh, he was trying to get money to... Uh, uh, to fund an animation project that he was going to do in Sundance Film Festival. And uh, he couldn't get the money from the company. Mm-hmm. And so I said to him, I said, well, what have you done? He said, well, I explained, we profiled about six people in the company. And we found a one person who was the person who was, could release the money that he needed. He needed three million one year and 10 million the next year. And uh, he said, but I can't get them, I can't get them to, to do this. So we found one woman who was, who was the woman who could release the money. And I said to her, what have you said to her? He said, I told her how great the project was and all of this. I said, why don't you just have a conversation with her and say, Kathy, we have a problem. And then don't say anything. She's going to say, what's the problem? And you say, we just can't figure who's going to get the phone call. And she says, what phone call? The phone call from the CEO, and she finds that she's not going to be in Sundance Film Festival with Robert Redford uh, because his money wasn't released now. Five weeks, they had the $3 million and $10 million. Why? Not because it was a great project, not very, but because this woman didn't want that phone call. So when you identify the obstacle that's in the way, what's in the way, and you understand that it's a personal decision, maybe not even a business decision, but this requires planning. It requires an analysis of the company, who you're talking to, what they want to have happen, what's happened. And, and, you know, so it's it's not just this roll in. And maybe it was years ago, but right now people don't even know the risks they're facing with cybersecurity. Yeah, for sure. Dan, I know you talked about there was another client that you had um, that was in transition looking to uh, – interviewing at a number of companies and some of the things that you all talked about in regards to um, getting prepared and not winging it and understanding the different dynamics of the people that were in the organization. Yeah, I I think it was important. You know, most people say, where am I going to get this information? Well, it requires research. 
It requires finding who you're going to be talking to. Uh, what does their organizational chart look like if you can get that? But I think the thing is, is that people on the level of your CISOs, the people who are really up there in this field, uh, if they're in a transition, I don't know whether they should be interviewed or whether they should be interviewing the company to see if the company philosophy is going to fit with their mindset so that they don't have to battle both people who are trying to penetrate the company and inside management. I mean, you talked about in, you know, internal, uh, internal customer service sometimes really falls flat because, you know, somebody will say, we have a great project. I've worked with a computer company. And the guy said he went out and he sold these great projects and he'd come back into the people who would implement the project and they'd say, what are you doing? We don't want to work this hard. We don't want another project. <laughs> so, so the CEO would say, why can't we grow the company? Why aren't our revenues increasing? So I said to him, very simple. I said, every time you close a deal, you take it and put it in a red folder and put it right on the CEO's desk. And he said, what's that for? He said, because I'm not going into that room and explain to them why they need to do this. You need to do that. When you present them with the, with the folder, then they're going to know that it's in your best interest that they do what you tell them to do. But it required understanding the personality of the CEO, the personality of the people who are, who are implementing the projects and the, and the salespeople. Yeah. You've talked a lot about that brings up something that you talk about, which is internal blockers and some of the, the, the people who are, uh, actively and passively maybe blocking an individual's success. And this could be, this. that reminds me of another situation that we've talked about in the past. Yeah, well, we've, Renee and I have, this, you know, this is not our first rodeo, Renee and I, yeah. So, you know, we, we've seen this and we've seen situations where, uh, you know, without going in specifics. Uh, yeah, somebody just said, yes, change management can be a nightmare without adequate planning also. That's what Gina said. 100% agree. Mm -hmm. uh, but it requires, but, but you know what's interesting is that, see, when somebody said to me, you know what I realize when I retain you to work with me? They say to me, you come in with no emotion. I don't have the emotion that's created within the environment. I take a thousand foot view of it. Uh, I look at it from different directions, but the change management requires somebody to realize what it's cost them not to change. Mm -hmm. When, when Carly Fiorina took over Hewlett Packard, she would say to people, I want you to take more risks. I want you to move more quickly. Uh, and she came in and she said, I don't want to take an engineer and put him in a, a management or sales position uh, just because he's really good at what he does and not support him with background information and not traditional sales training. The thing is, is that uh, if somebody says to me, uh, we have a, an industry guru who does all our training, that says to me, he's training your competition to say the same things that he's training you to say. And at the end of the day, you all sound alike. So CEOs, decision makers, will he and go, oh God, here's another one. So, you know, it really comes back down to it. But I think the thing is, is that when you get a gut feeling in a company that somebody is blocking you, uh, you know, you have to decide how to deal with that in situations we've been involved in, you know, I, I have a friend of mine, a photographer, and he took a, a, a picture of a river with this huge rock in the river. It's a beautiful picture and the water is rolling around the rock. And I said, you know, most people run into a situation where they come up against that rock and they hit the rock, hit, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it, rather than just go around it. And so it's, how do you find, how do you go around it? Mm -hmm. Found Renee and I have found that people in a company at the very top, sometimes don't know what's going on underneath them, don't know what's in the way, don't know that there's somebody blocking their progress or, or 
dramatically affecting their retention rate. I mean, it's, it's horrible. But again, we looked at a situation one time where there were two leaders on top. They had one person underneath them. And everybody underneath them was like, it was no foundation. Everybody's leaving. Why? Because of the personality of the person who was right underneath them. So, you know, it, 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 it's important to look at that stuff. But I think that at the end of the day, what somebody just said is, is that strategic planning on a psychological level with my clients really kind of makes sense. And so I offer this to anybody on this call. You tell me what's not happening right now that needs to happen. Give me a call on the phone. I'll tell you if I can help you. Five-minute phone call. That's the easiest way to do it. You know, and, you know, we're coming. We just came out of a weekend. Uh, we're going in. Do we know what day it is? I mean, does anybody know it's Groundhog Day? It's the same as yesterday. Today, Sunday, or is it Saturday? Who knows? But but the point is, is that, uh, and it's important to know when you're winging it. Yeah. I think people, to your point, when you talked about unconscious competence. Right. People don't fully realize when they're winging it because they've been doing it so well because it's been or it's been successful for them over time not understanding that the bar has been raised so I, I i'm glad that you brought that point up in that topic about the bar being raised slightly or or you know potentially being raised a lot and the person that has the unconscious competence not even knowing what's happening no but you know the other thing too is is people who commit to a company I, i've always found over the years that their responsibility is personal development of the people underneath them. How do you succession plan? How do you take somebody who's junior to you and, and help them to gain the skills and knowledge they need to take over when you leave? And that becomes important. And that's where unconscious competence gets in the way because, you know, the four levels of learning, I, um, I don't know anything and I don't know that I don't know anything. And uh, we run into those people all the time. <laughs> then, you know, I, I know what I do well and I know what I don't do well. I play blues guitar. I don't play a sax. The third is knowing what you do well and being able to apply it. So you have your toolbox of tools and you go into a situation, you do what you're doing. But after you're doing that for a long time, you start to make decisions that are really great decisions without even thinking about it. They're, they're right there. And that's where it becomes difficult because you can't teach me something that you don't know that you know. And so it's important to a company that somebody is working with people and giving people the opportunity to, uh, to use the skills they have or to learn new skills really becomes important. Well, Dan, I think that also one of the things and one of the challenges that that I see in the security space in particular is that the turnover is so high overall. So even at, you know, at the leadership level and then below and, you know, when you go down the chain, typically I believe on average is somewhere between two to two and a half years. And that turnover happens so quickly. So, you know, having someone work with you in particular with the psychology, when you think about the psychology of a person. So, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, this person has a, a, a certain amount of time to get in, figure out this environment, make an impact. And then in a couple of months, they're going to be gone. They, you know, very shortly thereafter, they could be on their way out, voluntarily or involuntarily. In this well, yeah. And so I would, I would wonder what's the cause of that turnover. Is it that technology moves so quickly or that they weren't given uh, the freedom to make decisions? I don't know. I'm sure there's a myriad. I mean, anybody wants to, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a uh, turnover is high, so it's hard to gain real traction. Well, yeah. who is trying to gain traction? The CISO who goes into a company mm -hmm. or, or but, but again, I, I think that, that everybody today we're talking about, we're, this is 2020. And I mentioned before on this show almost every time that every one of my clients today is in 2025 working backwards. Right. Where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself? 
and let's look backwards from there for anything you could possibly do, or as Renee brought up before, somebody else could do to screw up your plans. Mm -hmm. And and for you to be astute enough to realize when it's happening. Right. And, And to be able to profile those people. And again, that does not fit anywhere into the skills and talents and expertise of cybersecurity people. It's on a different level. Right. But what I found with people with HP, when they moved up, uh, they realized that it wasn't their technological skills anymore that was making things happen. It was the human interaction and management strategies and things that they put together to get an edge. Right. And it's that leadership piece. And this is Gina again saying, and Gina says, wow, Renee, good point. Turnover is so high. It's hard to gain real traction. And I, I see that. And Dan, when you talk about your 20, I mean, your 20, 25, your five year looking backwards, because it's, it's so very important because to your point, you know, if you are five years out, if I am sitting in 2025 and I'm looking back at this conversation with you today, I'm thinking, what am I not going to do to screw this up? Like, you know, I'm, I'm looking backwards. And it's a different, it's a completely different mindset. And it doesn't have anything to do with technology. And I don't think people fully understand or can can comprehend sometimes what that is and what that means. I have to close the window for the lawn guys here. <laughs> Dan always has something going on in Long Island, New York. So last week, they, I think they were out of power over there. Um, and so um, Dan wasn't with us. Jermaine says, hi. Hi, Jermaine. We got to bring Jermaine back on. While Dan is doing all that, I will. Uh, I, I was on a, an awesome panel with Jermaine team and Isaka last week talking about diversity in the field. And it was it was amazing. So Dan Jermaine says hi. He says hi, hi, hi Dr. Dan. So he, he had an awesome panel. He has some um he had a, a really this organization called Isaka. He's a VP over there. And they had this really great panel talking about diversity in um in security and just diversity in the workplace overall. So it was really, really good. That's great. So yeah, Dan, as as we were saying, um you know, thinking about five years, five years out, <laughs> Jermaine says he's experienced some um, the noise from the landscapers. <laughs> it's usually my kids making a noise. So, <laughs> if, if I tried to hire somebody to come with blowers, I couldn't get them to come. But when we get on the show, these guys decided this is the time to do this. <laughs> it's that, but, it's a lot of But it, it it really is interesting, you know, because. There's so many things going on today that that I believe that helping people get a thousand foot view of what's going on gives them a different way to make decisions. And persuading and influencing people is is really the dynamic that's going to help somebody get ahead because it's for their own it's for their own good. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I can't imagine the the uh, obstacles that are in somebody's way of of trying to uh, protect a company from penetration or even to know what the p- possibility is right so but again uh as opposed to fighting with others why not accept and get creative and create a structure where the company can strive i i think that's it is but the point is is that the cost of replacing somebody is way, way, way beyond most people's understanding of how much that costs. At least that's what I found in, in other situations. Dan, let me read the question because we, we do this podcast live, but then we also have a recording um, on iTunes. So that's why I usually read these things. As opposed to, Namdi says, as opposed to fighting against turnovers, why not accept it, get creative, and create a structure where the company can strive? Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense because that's dealing with a problem that you know is going to happen. I would first wonder why the turnovers are occurring. Uh, I don't know whether it's money, whether other opportunity, whether it's people move very quickly. I don't know whether it's the nature of 
cybersecurity technology that probably changes every day. So the point is, is that I don't know what that, but if you accept it, then the way to get creative, I think, is to focus more the way HP did on mentoring and building relationships with the people who were there. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes into a job and they're getting ready to move the minute they get there. I agree with that because I think that when somebody gets a job in a company, they should be looking up the organizational chart for where they would like to be and how to get there. And that involves psychology of who you're dealing with. You know, people who are uh, people who are above you that you may threaten. Who knows? Yeah. I'm dealing with people right now and, and I know that they've gone into companies and just, just been themselves with really nice people. But you don't know what it means to threaten a supervisor. Mm-hmm. You're going to come in and take their position. So what we've done is we look at an organizational chart. And if you see the resistances there, like that rock that's in the river, you go around it and go somewhere else because there is somebody in that company who really needs you to do what you do well. Right. That requires a couple of things. Uh, with unconscious competence, people have to know what they do well. And a lot of people don't. They just do it automatically. I had a guy who built a huge organization for HP in New Zealand. And he said to me, he, he, I said to him, how did you make this much money this quickly? He said, I was just being myself. I said, what does that mean? I said, if I come into work for you and I want to emulate you, what do you, how do I just be you? Right. So how do you make a decision? So when somebody makes a decision, does somebody sit down to them and rather than say, oh, I made this great decision to say, this is how I decided to do this. This is what I put into thinking about this. And this, so that's how you help somebody underneath you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So Jermaine says, great point, Namdi. This feeds into the diversity and inclusion conversation, making sure the culture is accepting of all people, ideas, and needs. Um, I, I wanted to add in that one of the, one of the, the things to, to Namdi's point, fighting the turnover and to some of the things that Dan said, there are ways to combat turnover. And you know, while we're talking about this diversity and inclusion conversation, you know, leaders could be taking, looking from within the organization. I say this over and over again. I think, you know, the creativity of taking someone out of a different area, out of IT, out of, I'm sorry, out of accounting, out of HR, out of some other area and bringing them in and grooming them in, in the cybersecurity space is a way to combat some of that turnover. But I think that to your, to your point, some of these people are not getting creative and with Dan, the 10,000 foot view, it all comes together. If you're, if you take yourself out of right now and you're working with somebody like Dan, you're working with Dan and you're in 2025 looking backwards, you can see, okay, I can bring in these various people and train them and cross train and do those types of things. But if you're like right here in the here and now looking at 90 days ahead, how are you going to be able to do that? You know, people who are interviewing, who are responsible to interview people are really coming in, um, I just want to read this note. I fail a few times and recognize when people don't really understand or care about being inclusive. They just want to be seen by the black girl. What can I do? This is from Gina King. Uh, that's something that I honestly can't address because I've never been in that situation. At least I didn't know it. But, you know, uh, I think that there are situations. I mean, I'm, I'm doing a program uh, on Wednesday morning a uh, global program for the UN uh, in Nigeria. I, I may be the only white guy in a program, probably will be, but that's, that, you know, that's where we are. But it, you see, the thing is, is that when people, are, I'll, I'll tell you a story about a law firm. I worked with a law firm and she said to me, I'm, uh, I'm trying to grow the size of the firm, I'm trying to expand it. I said, what do you want to do? She said, I want to put three or four different divisions in this law firm. And I said, well, how are you interviewing? She said, I'm interviewing people for their skills and talents. I said to them, well, I would rather see you interview them for their dream. Because if you can get somebody, whether it's a client, a prospect, or somebody you're talking to from 2020 to 2025 and say, give me your dream for 2025. I want to be here. 
Well, some interesting things happen, particularly anybody who's an athlete here, is you start to tap into their subconscious mind, which must act out every thought, image, or idea going forward. And, and uh, your subconscious mind tends to drag you toward that and does it effectively. But, you know, and my job is helping people get out of their way. What's in the way of that happening? So it's getting, and when, when somebody comes in and says, like if somebody, if Renee was recruiting for her company and somebody came in and said, Renee, I want you a job. Well, that's the best thing that somebody can hear. Because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know what it is, is that if, if you say to that person, tell what, what skills and talents do you have right now to sit in Renee's seat? I can do this, 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 and this. What do you think you need to sit in my seat? Because that allows her to expand her company. Well, I need this, this, this. And you say to that person, I will give you those things. I will give you challenges uh, to deal with and projects to deal with that will enhance your skills and ability to do what you want to do, to get you where you want to go. Is that person leaving you? I mean, when you've committed to help them with their, not their career, their job, it, it's with their dream, help somebody get their dream. You know, I deal with athletes and I'm dealing with two athletes. One's the, the top baseball catcher in the country and the other one is his brother who's a junior in high school throwing a pitch at 90 miles an hour. You know, it, it's, I know what their dream is. One's definitely going to the, you know, the, uh, to, to baseball, but Major League Baseball, and the other probably will. So it, it's helping people with, it's helping people underneath you with the skills that they have and that you have to train them and to bring them up to speed. And I think that, that uh, the diversity issue is something that's critical today. Uh, I think there are a lot of talented people who've been kept down because uh, of, of racism and because of uh, bigotry. And I think that we've, Renee and I have seen in the, the company, the situations we worked with throughout the whole course of our time together, people not liking other people because they threaten the hell out of them. Threatening. You know, when somebody comes in and they say, oh, you know, this person could take my job. Are you going to train them? I don't think they are. Are they going to make it harder? But what happens is, you see, that's where leadership needs to play into this because we found out that leaders were so focused on their upward mobility and where they were going and what they were trying to accomplish that they were not under, they didn't understand the dynamics of what was going on underneath them. So when they needed to recruit somebody, they would go to an HR department and ask HR to recruit somebody for me. And basically what Renee says, just give me, a, here's my cell phone number. You're looking for somebody, give me a call. Mm -hmm. And so that person, the minute they woke up out of bed, put their feet on the floor, they knew that they could call her on the phone and get them the type of people they want to fill in underneath them. But, you know, people, leadership is, is not, you know, it, you got to look over a whole organization and you have to pick people underneath you to manage. And, and it's, it's a whole dynamic that either works for a company or against it. Dan, I think one of the things I wanted to add too, to um, something that Gina said and something that you talk about all the time is being the CEO of your own company. Yep. And when you are in an organization, you know, thinking through what would I do if I were, you know, I am the CEO of my world. So if I have a job and I'm a project manager or I'm a cybersecurity analyst or whatever, and taking that, putting that hat, that CEO hat on and saying, hey, you know, if I was a CEO, a real, you know, if I'm a CEO of this organization and I make, for example, $100,000 and I need to go out and get $100,000 worth of business, even if this person was raised this big, a bigot, this, that, how do I, how am I going to earn my $100,000 in this business? And some of the things that you and I have worked on where people were, to, to your point, you know, the threat that people are threatened by various people for, for various people for all different kinds of reasons. 
Um, people want to, people are fearful for their jobs. All, there's all different types of things that come into play. And I think what one of the things that I really took away from working with you and partnering with you for all these years is that when you're the CEO of your own company, you're like, okay, to, when you talked about that rock in the road, okay, how do I move? How do I get around this situation? How do I move? How do I maneuver um, to ensure that I get what I need? And if that is, you know, whatever it may be, if that's, hey, I'm, I'm sharing with you all what the best thing to do is for your organization from a cybersecurity perspective, and you're not, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to take that advice, then maybe my, maybe I could take this same um, information that I have and give it to another organization that truly will want my advice and truly wants my help and truly wants my feedback. Um, so I think it's that really when you look, when you take that 10,000 foot view that you're always talking about, like being the four, being in 2025 and that 2010 and 20,000 foot view is like so, so, so very important because you're looking down on all these people. Like if you, if you, if we were up in an airplane and I know you give this analogy all the time, you know, what you see when you're walking in the street and you're crossing the street and what you see from an airplane are two different things. So having that perspective, I think, is just so very important, and you drill that in almost all the time. You, you, you see, because the fact is, is that it's difficult to be in business today. Everybody knows that. When you know you're in business, but when you're running a business and you don't know you're running a business, that's more critical. Mm -hmm. When I say everybody's a CEO of their own company, they say, "Well, I'm in this. I'm in this group of people working," but you still are running your own company. So. Mm -hmm. when your feet on the floor in the morning every decision you make is a business decision what you eat what you drink what you smoke what you see with who takes your picture what you put up on facebook are all business decisions mm -hmm. see yourself that way now the other thing is people and everybody i work with who's got a job they get the job they get in that position and these are these are some very high paying jobs and i'll say to them okay give me your organizational chart and wait Tell me where you want to be next. No, 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 no. We just got here. I said, no, you need one part of yourself to be doing your job here really effectively. But you need to put into your subconscious mind where you want to be because it's a very interesting dynamics. And I do this with hypnosis over the phone and on, on Zoom calls. Your subconscious mind does a couple of things. It runs your body fun bodily functions but it also must act out every thought, image, or idea that you put into it. And it will do that relentlessly unless you get in its way. So what blocks people? Well, I don't, I don't know, but it's different with everybody. It's not a, it's not a cookie cutter. I mean, I had, I work with golfers. I have a, a program to guarantee golfers strokes with their golf game and to help clients help, help companies, big companies attract really high end clients into their environment. Guy was a real estate developer in the city, not not Trump, a real estate developer in the city. And he had a, uh, he said to me, you know, uh, he said, uh, we were working on negotiation strategies for contracts he's putting together. And he said to me, but, you know, I'm a 12 handicap golfer and I can't play well 50 yards in. So to make a very long story short, what we discovered is the only time he can't play well 50 yards in is when he's playing with somebody who makes more money than he does. Here's a guy who makes high seven figures. So the fact is, who would ever think that a guy that wealthy would be intimidated by the wealth of somebody else he's dealing with? This is invisible stuff. I've seen it over and over again. And the minute you take the invisible block out of the way and move it over, people fly. Mm -hmm. So, but, but they have to know. They have to come back and say, uh, Do we want to read that note? Yep. So um, Namdi uh, follows up with after Jermaine's comment and says diversity and inclusion should be less about of an altruistic mission and more of a strategic business decision. Getting different perspectives increases the competitive advantage and adaptability of an organization. An orchestra with the same instrument makes for a boring sound. Couldn't have said it better. You know, but you know what it is? The people hear that. Mm-hmm. People a lot, you know, when people talk about selling whatever they do based on features and benefits, here are the features of hiring me for this position. 
here are the features of whatever it is. And people sell you features and benefits all the time. But that's not the way the brain works. And so people who are trying to affect the person's brain to make a decision, that's not, that's not how it works. Here's how it works. The brain operates on skepticism, reactance, and inertia. You start to talk, they're skeptical. You have to make skepticism an important factor and allow it, as somebody is talking, allow the skepticism, but with instruction. Reactance is I don't want to be sold, and inertia is all the things somebody has to do to change what they're doing, all the other people they have to change to make this happen. It's a very complex arena, but with the skepticism, as you're presenting it, uh, I always tell people skepticism can work either for you or against you. If you let it control you, you're going to be skeptical while I'm talking, even on this call, and you're going to shut me down. Or you can say, I'm going to wait until September 15th to be skeptical about everything that Dan has said for the last 12 weeks. So noticing when you're skeptical shuts, shuts you down. So if you decide to be skeptical in September 15th, now you've set a time date where you got to let everything fly and try it. Yep. But, but again, people need to understand, listen to how they talk to themselves. You know, I just got off the phone with somebody. I said, you know, I, I use Renee as an example. What is Renee? Hear Renee, hear Renee saying to Renee when Renee overhears Renee talking to Renee. Negative self-talk will shut you down all the time. So what if you could control it? Yeah. What if the people who work for you could control it? What if you could anticipate the thought process of the person who you're trying, who leads your organization, and how could you present your objectives to them in a way that's more acceptable to them? Right. Make it easier for them not to be skeptical, letting them know you're not trying to sell them at all because you're already in the company. Or if you're selling a product, that's another whole situation that Renee and I have been talking about. Uh, and then you move into a situation where uh, people need to change what they're doing. Change is not easy. But when people are given a choice, what do I do? Do I do this or do I do that? Then they have to make a decision. Right. I mean, I have, I have a client who's a, uh, who does uh, um, HR. She's a lawyer. She does HR manual, tra uh, training manuals, mm -hmm. corporate manuals. And I said to her, I said, she said, I can't get my ideas across to lawyers who will refer me to people to do these corporate manuals. I said, how much do the corporate manuals cost? She says, ah, $27,000, $30,000 to do corporate manuals in the case she was describing. And I said, okay. I said, and what are the fines if Department of Labor comes in and finds you don't have them? She says, three, four hundred thousand. I said, so, so where's the balance? You know, you have to show them. And so what I said to her is, Get a, a matter of fact, I gave her a gift set of dice. I said, put the dice in your pocket. Anybody says to you, what do you do? You roll the dice on the table, and you say, how many of your clients are rolling the dice? I'll talk to all the cybersecurity people on this call. How many people that you deal with are rolling the dice every day? Against hiring you, listening to you, following along with what you say. And I'll tell you, I have the same situation. I tell people, do this, do that, do something else. You know what? They don't do it. Okay, next. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You know, it's just because there's somebody out there, and we have, Renee and I have found us, there's some people out there in your organization way above you that really, really, really need to understand what you do unconsciously. Mm -hmm. And the question is how to get in front of them. Yep. Well, it, it's not just knocking on their door. There is a strategy to convert somebody from another provider to you. That's one of my salesmen. That's what I help people do. But it's it's individual. It's not it's not a cookie cutter, buy a book, read it, and, and do it. Right. And the other thing is we know that, you know, slow isn't working for people anymore. People want stuff to happen fast. So on my website, there's a fast track, 888 fast track program that I that I uh, customized for people, for individuals. And and uh, some other stuff there. <laughs> that, that's not for you, Renee. <laughs> <laughs>
The clients are calling, Dan. The clients are calling. Yeah, I know. Oh man! All right, so we are almost at fifty minutes. So we've been on a we've been on a a, a run this morning, um, right. which makes sense because you haven't been here, and we are so excited to have you back. Um, Jermaine right. made a comment here. About, also talks about the uh, organizations having above average organizations that have above average diversity and levels of employment in, employee engagement outperform companies uh, below average by 46 to 58%. So it's kind of the same things that we've been talking to um, in regards to bringing in, you know, my huge, 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 I push this all the time is diversity of thought, like not having everyone with the same exact, to Namdi's point, the same instrument, a band of the same thing across the board. It just, it's A, it's boring. B, uh, the cyber criminals don't care. They're coming for the company. They're coming for for the organization. Dan talks about this all the time. Like, Dan, I know you say that cybersecurity professionals are like you're like they're like under a waterfall. They're like under Niagara Falls. You say that all the time. Under Niagara Falls, it never ever stops. I mean, I work with professional athletes all the time: football players, soccer players, golfers. You know, the, the challenges come and go. They never stop with you guys. Never, never stop. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, and I think that, you know, the interesting thing is I would not want to manage a company or an organization where people felt that the lack of diversity made them feel less valuable to the company. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that if somebody, I, I just want to know what somebody's dream is. Can I help them reach their dream? Right. And, you know, when people try to pitch business to somebody, they're trying to pitch business when they're trying to sell a product. They're selling in 2020. I can show you how to sell in 2025 and do an awful lot better. I mean, I have insurance guys now that are up 35, 40% a year. But again, that that's my sales. That's my business pitch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All you need to do is tell me what you need to have happen. It's not happening. And I can tell you in five minutes if I can help you that simple be there perfect yeah but you're breaking up dan so we should wrap um okay. at 50 something minutes anybody can reach out to dan um you have his website dan schaefer phd.com there are downloads on there he's here every week if you want to reach him you can reach out to me i could give you his number his number is on the website he's a big text fan so if you text him and put your name in he'll be happy to uh and get your questions answered. So thank you, Dan, again for being here. Thanks, Dr. Ray. We'll talk to you soon. See you next week. All right. Take care. Bye now. Bye. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.